there, Yag here. Before we get on to today's episode, I want to talk to you about a podcast that I've been listening of late. It's called the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast, hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Gain, Grow, Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing day-to-day challenges of scaling. Hosts Jeff and Jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer-first approach. Being a person from marketing and sales background, I personally enjoyed the episode on why you should be running an advocacy program and how to get started. If you were to listen to this podcast, I would highly recommend you to start with this one. Once again, listen to Gain, Grow and Retain wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, this podcast is also brought to you by Avoma, the number one meeting lifecycle assistant. Every meeting has a lifecycle. The set of things that you do before the meeting, during the meeting, and after the meeting. What if there was an AI assistant that could automate all your low-value tasks and let you focus on the things that really matter to you and keep you productive? That's what Avoma does for you. To learn more, check out www.avoma.com. And now, to our show. Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to unpack a category creation story. We are going to focus on how to identify an opportunity that's only obvious in retrospect and build a category from scratch. And to discuss that, today we have with us someone who has just done that. Someone who took the beverage industry by storm. Kara Golden the founder and CEO of Hint, best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. She's been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, and EY's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017. The Huffington Post listed her as one of the six disruptors in business, alongside Steve Jobs, and Mark Zuckerberg. She is an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. Her latest book, Undaunted, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and I can confidently say that it's unlike anything you'll find in the conventional business press. Kara combines real honest stories from a life with observations that might just change how you think about your own. So without any further ado, Kara, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So let's get started. Kara, you started as a writer. You know, you worked for Time Magazine, then worked for CNN, then moved to the tech side of the world. And from there, you went on to create an entirely new category with Hint, where you took on the hegemons of the beverage world or what one might call the soda companies. For me as a marketer, you know, your story is so inspiring. 
you probably were a category designer long before category design was a thing so tell us a little bit about that journey you know give us some jump cuts of how things moved from writing to tech to hint it's funny when i think back i i think i always wanted to be a writer uh but the uh, the truth is is that they wouldn't hire me so because I didn't have the experience right. and so instead I ended up taking a role inside of Time Magazine uh, in circulation which is something that I look back on was sort of an accidental good thing that that ended up happening so it was uh, circulation by the way is is really where subscriptions and and kind of the early days of what I view as direct-to-consumer today and sort of successful direct-to-consumer marketing. And so that's where I started my career and, and went on to CNN, where I was doing more on the content side of CNN and on the sales side as well, but then went into a startup in Silicon Valley, which had uh I guess that was really my place where I I saw tech and and kind of the dream of doing something from scratch. While CNN was kind of a startup, I didn't join CNN when there were five people like I did with the first startup when I got to Silicon Valley. So I feel like being able to get in early, being able to see visionary entrepreneurs. And then I ended up going through an acquisition at my startup that was by a company called America Online. And again, I wasn't there at ground zero, but I was there when they were still a pretty young company. I got to see what it was like to actually create something, not by me, but by other people and support them in a way and see sort of the hockey stick in action, right? It's funny because I didn't even think back then when I was at CNN and when I was at the startup to market and then America Online that I was a part of somebody who was creating a new category, but we were. I mean, CNN obviously was 24-hour news. I mean, it didn't exist. But watching the founders, watching the people who were leading the company, being able to put stakes in the ground around this idea, this need, and not wavering, not changing when an investor says, oh, you should do this instead, or employees are saying, I don't think it's going to work. You know, you as the leader, people are looking at you to, to follow, right? And follow this approach. So, Being able to have seen that and experienced it, I think, allowed me the courage, the stupidity, however you want (laughs) to think about it, to go out and found a company. Right. You know, that's, that's really fascinating because when I look at it, it's like, entirely different industries, right? So you, you're you starting out in journalism and from there you move to tech. And then Hint is like entirely on the opposite spectrum. It's it's proper D2C. So, you know, maybe tell us a little more about that, that Hint story. You know, our audience would like to hear the story behind how Hint Water came into being. I'm sure you've shared the story a million times, but, uh, you know, I would love to hear that from you. Yeah, well, it was... Uh you know, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because again, I had had experience working for other entrepreneurs, but I still didn't think that this was what I was going to do. And certainly not 
in a, a totally different industry or not the beverage industry. But for me, it came when I was taking a couple of years off. I had left AOL, had built a business inside of America Online that was been there for seven years, it was a, about a, a billion dollars in revenue to America Online. And when I was taking a couple of years off, I I was spending time with my young family. I had three kids at the time under the age of uh, four. So my house was crazy. And I was trying to do the right thing as a parent for these young kids by giving them healthy food and drinks. And what I realized is that I was kind of the the nutrition police, right? Like I was constantly saying, no, no, you can't have this, you can't have this. And then one day I looked down at my own drink that I was drinking, diet soda, diet Coke in particular, and saw that there were a lot of ingredients that I didn't understand. Now I had set up sort of a plan where if I didn't understand what I was putting in my kids' bodies, then I wouldn't have it, right? Like I would just basically throw it to the side. So I thought, why aren't I doing that with myself. I want to be healthy too in order to be able to see my healthy kids to adulthood. And so that's when I decided I'm going to stop drinking my Diet Coke and see what happens. I mean, see if there's any changes. I knew that I would probably miss it, but I thought I need to get rid of this habit because it might not be so great for me. Never did I think that by giving up Diet Coke, I would change a lot of things. And basically what I realized, it was the diet sweeteners that were causing havoc on my system. And so two and a half weeks after giving up diet soda, that's when I lost 24 pounds. I had gotten rid of my adult acne that I had developed over the last few years and had never again connected those to this drink that I loved. Instead, I had accepted them as this is just the way things are when, you know, you have lots of kids. People would say, you know, cut back on the sweets. And I'm thinking, I'm not eating 12 cupcakes a day. (laughs) This is just what's going on. I was a big runner, so I was still running, but nothing was changing. But when I gave something up, this thing that I loved so much that I had been drinking since high school, the world changed for me. And that's when my own curiosity kind of kicked into gear, that and my thirst. And I realized that I didn't like the taste of plain water. And and giving up diet soda was like a problem because what else was I going to drink? And so that's when I thought, okay, well, I'm not going back to drinking diet soda. I'm now you know, getting healthy and doing the right thing for my body and my family. And so I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water, still not thinking that I was coming up with a new product or new company or new category. But instead, what I realized when friends were saying to me, oh, what kind of fruit are you putting in your water today? I mean, it was like this fascination that so many people had. I'd you know, go to the park, I'd go to the gym, people would ask, oh, you've got cherries in your drink. Wow, that's that's interesting. Do you have any sugar? Do you have any diet sweeteners in there? No, no, no. It's just enough to get me to drink water. That's when I really realized that I was on to something. 
you know this is amazing because you know i'm a father of two my son is 9 and my daughter is 4 and i very much resonate with what you're saying because i'm a runner too you know i i uh, go out for a run almost every day and uh, i come back and the first thing that i do is like probably i might pick up a gatorade or something like that and i'm like oh my god uh, you know all the effort that i'm putting to burn calories i'm fucking filling it up with something else and probably it's not good for my health and you know for us here i i'm based out of india um, in the southern part of india which is a city called chennai it's a coastal city it's pretty humid here so drinking water all the time is is a natural thing for us but how did the idea of you know bottling this water and making that as something that people would buy come up as an idea because for most people there would have been a question that hey would i pay for this yeah well it's interesting i went to my local store called whole foods which is considered a specialty store because it's a little yeah. fancier than conventional grocery stores i went to that store and i figured that this is exactly the kind of store that would have a product like this and instead i couldn't find a product that was still water that had fruit in it with nothing else in it everything had either sugar or diet sweeteners in it so i found myself educating the guy that was stocking the shelves i mean he was just he worked there and i was educating him what i was looking for and why i was doing that and it was interesting because he shared his story with a drink called vitamin water and how he had gained a bunch of weight by drinking vitamin water and vitamin water was never my thing 17 years ago when i started my company i mean friends of mine drank vitamin water they didn't even have a diet version of the product and people just didn't read the label because they assumed that they were getting vitamins from it right, right. and and so I felt like there must be other stores that have this product and I wanted it for the convenience. And that was the thing that I realized from my days at America Online was that if you have a great product that consumers like I guess in the food industry and in the drink industry is taste great, but it's also convenient. I mean, that's the thing to have actually have a two-step process of buying the fruit and cutting it up and putting there's going to be times when, you know, you wear out at sort of yeah. doing that. You won't have you have to go to the grocery store in order to get it. And I thought it's just a hassle. Why isn't this product out there? Little did I know, not only was it hard to produce a product that didn't have sweeteners in it, but also didn't have preservatives in it. but also the distribution headaches i mean people early on said oh wow it's amazing you're taking on big soda and you're taking on the sugar lobbies and all these yeah. you know different groups that never was my intention instead i wanted to help people realize what i had realized that water could actually taste better without making it sweet but also i felt like if if this didn't work I had been successful in tech and in the magazine industry and television so I could always go back to that. If nothing else it would end up to be a funny story. I'd be a great dinner date, right? Where people would say, "What were you doing the last couple of years?" Oh, I was failing, you know, I I I decided to start a beverage company. What a bad idea, right? Like I just thought it'd just be humorous. And I think like that's something that I I've realized and one of the reasons why i wanted to write my book was that i think so often 
especially when we've been successful, we don't actually want to go out and look foolish, right? As we age, we want the more successful we are. It's like we don't allow ourselves to learn and be challenged because we fear looking stupid or failing. And I was counter to that. Like I thought if it doesn't work out, no one's expecting me to actually be successful and build. You know, today, Hint is over a quarter of a billion dollars in sales, you know, valuation much higher than that. And again, like it never was supposed to happen. According to everybody, not having industry experience, not sort of knowing what I'm actually doing will. I will for sure be, as somebody said to me early on in the beverage industry, roadkill. I said, well, <laughs> that's that's kind of a gruesome way to look at my life. And anyway, but that's the thing. I mean, the other thing that's such a beautiful moment for me that I share with with entrepreneurs is that when you don't have experience and you sort of accept that you're probably not the, I hate to use the word smartest person in the room, but the most knowledgeable person in the room. I mean, here I had built businesses for AOL and done great things, but in the beverage industry, I didn't know what I was doing. People don't expect you to mentor them. You know, you're a student again. It's great, right? You're humbled yeah. by by your experiences. And I found myself, you know, very connected, very, very curious and asking questions that people hadn't asked. Like, how do you produce a product that doesn't have preservatives in it? It ends up that we were talking about something that everyone accepted as industry standard. You have to use preservatives. We created the first water using fruit that didn't use preservatives in it. And nobody was, I mean, I had many people who hung up the phone on me, wouldn't meet with me because they thought, I'm not going to bottle a product that has fruit in it that you're not using preservatives in it. That's dangerous. And I'm like, why? I mean, they do it in the juice industry. So why why can't you do it in the water industry with fruit? Well, it's different equipment and I don't know. And then click, they would hang up the phone. And so again, being persistent, being curious, not being afraid to ask questions. People would ask me too, Here's another funny point. They would say, so what did you do before? Expecting me to say, oh, I worked at Coke or I worked at Pepsi or somewhere in the food industry. And I say, oh, I I worked at America Online. I I built a direct-to-consumer business. And and, uh, they'd say, well, what does that have to do with drinks? And I say, nothing. It has nothing to do with it, (laughs) right? And so people would immediately say, she's an arrogant tech executive. She wants to have her own beverage. I mean, and and again, it's it's way better when you're the underdog. People don't yeah. expect you to actually go out and be successful. And uh, you know, I would I would answer their questions, but they all figured out that I was never going to be able to be successful. So, it's it's a good position to be in. Absolutely. As we were saying the story, I was almost, uh, you know, imagining you uh, taking up this pitch on Shark Tank and talking to Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I could imagine the reactions that you're getting. But that's that's exactly the point, you know, I would like to um, dive in a level deeper. You were always going to have these uh, naysayers um, than those who would say, uh, hey, Kara, that's awesome. Let's go for it. 
And to be fair, many times, some of the naysayers, they are from our family and friends who probably are wanting the best for us. But in that, in that kind of a scenario where you are getting the kind of responses that uh, you were getting, what made you stick to your guns, you know, especially when you're building this entirely a uh, new product, new category. And from from whatever I little bit, whatever I understand in marketing, you need to do a crazy amount of work to educate the market and get the people to buy into this idea in the first place. So, you know, tell me a little bit about this, this go to market story of yours. Like, how did you educate the market for the need for something like this? Well, early on, one of the things that we did that I learned in tech was to put a contact on our bottle. So email us at drinkhint.com. And it, you know, it was fascinating because people weren't doing that in the beverage industry. And instead there was just this, you know, maybe there was a phone number on the bottle, but definitely the idea of putting an email on the bottle was brand new 17 years ago. And so I started to hear from consumers, actually the first day that we were on the shelf at this market, Whole Foods, where I re- I'll never forget that this gentleman reached out to me and shared his story of how excited he was to find a product that was unsweetened and had fruit in it because he had this disease called type 2 diabetes. And he probably thought that the person who was emailing him on the other end was a big customer service uh, group or, you know, little did he know that I was the founder. I was a one man operation. Right. And so I reached out to him. I ended up getting on the phone with him and, and, you know, again, my curiosity kicked into gear where I started to hear about type two diabetes. I had never heard about, you know, I knew what type one diabetes was, but not type two diabetes. And that's when I really started to see that while Hint had actually helped me to get healthier. There were other types of health that people were trying to achieve. And for him, what he realized was that he knew he wasn't supposed to be drinking anything with sugar in it, but diet sweeteners actually spiked his insulin levels. So he was trying to avoid diet sweeteners. So that was at a time when I was also starting to think about how else what other stores can I get hint into? And I ran into with conventional grocery stores a um, an issue around planograms. And so f- for anybody who's ever sold consumer products or basically anything in consumer products dealing with large stores, you deal with planograms. And planograms are essentially real estate that is sold to large companies typically who have kind of grandfathered in uh, situations. And and basically, they set up the categories that are going to be represented on that aisle. And unsweetened flavored water was not part of the representation. And so I was kind of hitting a wall being able to get additional distribution beyond the specialty stores. And direct-to-consumer was really not in the grocery industry, was not sort of taking off quite yet. And I believed that just by sharing my story, as well as the stories of other consumers, and really kind of getting into the heads of those consumers and understanding what their why, like why would they want to drink like Kent, that that would be the biggest way to grow the brand. And so I did everything from, I'd go to endocrinologists who were dealing with people with diabetes, and I'd 
share the drink with them. And I tell my own story of how, you know, I, I really believe that I was on the verge of diabetes before actually switching from diet drinks over to my product hint. Um, but also we would go to and sample our product at fun runs, any place where we could find people who were interested in health. And the beauty of being in the water category versus maybe some other food categories with all of these events, right? Everybody needs water at their events. So we would, you know, look for PTA and, right. and you know, school events where people would be looking for water. And I think everybody was just pleasantly surprised because there were many people who didn't think they had health issues, but they would start drinking Hint and they would see the benefit. I mean, everybody should have clean water, right? And and access to a drink like water. The The challenge that I realized early on is that I didn't drink water because I found it boring. And I started to think about how big these industries are, whether it's the enhanced water, like the vitamin water category, or the diet drinks. People want to get healthy. They're drinking a drink that says vitamins or diet on it, yet they don't really understand how that is so different than water. And so if I could bring a product to the market like Hint, and more than anything, I did it by sharing my story and my why. That allowed people to build trust and connect my story into their own lives. You know that is that is absolutely uh, you know very very inspiring for me to hear because when you go go into a typical retail store and uh, you keep hitting the wall on uh, not getting a shelf for it, it's it's very easy to kind of you know, uh, give up and go back to the next level. But you to explore it in different places, go to these PTAs, go to doctors. And this is entirely something that unthinkable, right? You need to step into every single thing and see what's working. And if I have to take one major thing out of all of these things is that it's it's being humble enough to understand and realize that, hey, you know, I need to be open to talk to different people and understand at the grassroots level of what's happening and what's not happening, rather than assuming that, hey, I've worked in the industry for so many years, might be different and there are some transferable skills, but still going down and realizing, that, hey, this is what works and this is what doesn't work. And when I first got my hands on your uh, book, Undaunted, you know, what I really loved about this, when I went through the book, one of the things that I realized was very different from many other business books that I've read is that it felt like an honest mirror conversation. You know, it was almost like you opening up and speaking your mind from your experiences of overcoming a lot of doubters across different phases of your life. So let's talk a little bit about what was your reason for writing this book, Undaunted? You know, why did you title it that way? And uh, what do you want your net readers to get out of it? Well, I started journaling actually about six years ago. And I started journaling really out of boredom when I was on the road. And first of all, as I was sharing my story, people would be in audiences listening to my story and or, you know, I would get press off of the number one thing that I ended up having a lot of people reach out to me, especially editorial press was the fact that I had moved from tech and had been a t successful tech executive 
to starting a beverage company. Now, I didn't like dream of starting a beverage company. I did it because I was passionate about health, right? And and I had figured out a way to get and stay healthy by enjoying water. But people wanted to hear the story of why I did it. And so I started to share that story more and more and people would ask questions off of that initial story. Like, I would never be as courageous as you. How did you do something so fearless? Or you probably never had any mistakes along the way. Or, you know, was it harder to raise money as a woman? Or, you know, all of these things that I found myself coming up with answers to these questions. And I thought, I'm going to write them down. But then after Six years, 600 pages later, I thought maybe I should actually put this into some sort of format that people who don't get to hear me, that maybe the, it didn't make it into an article in, in Fortune magazine that is, you know, a half a page long. Maybe there's a way to actually share this with a lot more people. So again, kind of leading with helping people in a way to, to sort of know that, I'm not anything special. I'm not fearless. I I definitely have had failures along the way. All of these things I think people need to know because if you can actually make them feel at ease, if you can make them feel like, you know, you're just an ordinary person, which most founders are, that will actually allow them to go out and create as well. And that's what I felt like that's what the world needs. They need people who are willing to go out and make mistakes, willing to go out and fail and maybe look stupid along the way. And how many people have ideas sitting there but thinking, I don't have the right experience. I've never been in that industry. I'll never be able to raise money because I'm not the right gender. You know, whatever they've got sitting in their head, if they hear my story, maybe it will allow them to go out and do something that actually helps a lot of people. With that, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, HubSpot. From ride sharing to file sharing and everything in between, if you use an app or website to engage with your customers, you know that your platform needs to be able to keep up with their needs. HubSpot is trusted by enterprises and entrepreneurs to keep up with customer needs and deliver a seamless customer experience no matter the interaction. With easy-to-use web editing tools, HubSpot helps your team publish and update your website with ease. And with the developer-quality, code-free drag-and-drop website editor, anyone on your team can update pages and edit content, helping your customers access your site updates as soon as they're ready. Learn how your business can grow better at hubspot.com you know this is absolutely super cool because if i if i you know one line that sticks to me throughout is that uh you know if this didn't work out it would be a good uh date story i was like wow that's quite a perspective to take you know it's it's like you look at things and you take it so easily and this is something that i've also seen with a lot of founders that uh, do things really well 
you they often come across as very grounded and uh, they often have a lot of things that they say that they absolutely have no clue about and they are willing to go and ask people and get to know about it that is absolutely fantastic and rather than coming across like hey i know everything uh, or you know i'm like i don't want to go and ask or complain about things it's it's better off to say that hey let me let me see whatever happens and go give it a shot so i i absolutely love this and uh, you know from here the thing is that uh, the book right so the book aspect is something that i personally was excited because i have published about 10 books and every time i started uh, writing my books it started from the perspective of hey who is going to read it nobody and the very first time i started writing my first book it was like i very much like you right so in in the writing side i started with fiction and and eventually started uh, you know converting myself into a non fiction writer where i ended up writing marketing books and to my surprise my first fiction book i saw that there were 900 people who actually bought it and i was like what really and it was it was uh, you know the direction that came out from the other side where one of my publishers said hey yag if you're going to write marketing books i'll publish you for free uh, because you're doing a lot of work in this sector so why don't you uh, put in all your efforts there so that's how that tilt happened so for you what was that turning point to say that hey from from what i've journaled together let me actually publish this as a book because in your case there are two ways to look at it one you have a story to tell and there are so many people that could be inspired from it that's that's one side and the second aspect is that did you also want to look at authorship as one of the things that you wanted to get into because you had that journalism background i was i was not thinking through through this journal that this would become a book i think you know more than anything i just didn't think that i had time to write a book which is something that i always share with entrepreneurs i think that a trait about entrepreneurship and founders in, in particular is that they want things done in a hurry right they're not willing to actually put in the time and i think so often you've got to be able to slow down and be able to take your time on certain things including write a, writing a book so that you've got a book that you're really proud of right that you're that you want to get out there and So that was my situation again was writing this just as a journal not thinking that it would eventually become a book but then when I finally had committed to the fact that the way that I could actually help a lot more people potentially become entrepreneurs or go start a company is to actually get this out there that's when I hired an editor to actually take my journal and all of my notes and help me to kind of put it into a clearer format. So there are lots of different ways to write a book, but I think for me it was actually putting it into that place that allowed me to kind of get the book that I ultimately wanted to to get. And that took about 6 months uh to put that together and added many hours on to my days and and uh weekends in order to really have that or six month timeline to get something into a format that I would be happy to get into the final manuscript that's amazing i love the story all right so now that uh, we've gotten towards the 30 minute mark of our conversation let's let's move to the second half of what we call as uh the rapid fire section so what i'm going to do now is i'm going to shoot five pointed questions at you the questions might be short but the answers need not be you can speak whatever comes to your mind and this is going to be my 
humble attempt to kind of put you on the spot. So are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right. Right. So here's question number one. I'm sure you've got this question a lot of times before. You know, you were eventually taking on Coke and Pepsi. What were you thinking? They will crush me if they come out with a competitor. And right. uh, and uh, that, by the way, is something I talk about in the book that ultimately competition only makes you better. And you have to think about focusing on what you can control, not what you can't control. I can't control them in terms of not launching. And instead, you focus on doing the best that you can possibly do. And in the end, I'm a huge believer that they helped build the category of unsweetened flavored water for me by coming out with competition. All I had to do was focus on staying the best. So did it help that uh, you were the first product? Because the reason I asked this question with so much intrigue is that in the tech world, I've often seen that, you know, somebody is a new category creator, but then eventually there is there are other products that end up becoming the category king or queen. For example, take marketing automation. You know, Eloqua was the first company that started this category, but eventually the people who took off were Marketo and HubSpot. So was that any day, you know, potentially looking like it's going to happen to you? So with your examples, what, uh, what I think so many people get caught up in is, you know, you, you say, do you want to be the first or, you know, do the leaders ultimately become yeah. the people that follow on? But the reality is, is that so often the first ones, maybe they don't have enough capital, right? Maybe they are not looking at how to make the product better, right? And innovate in some way. So while they'll have competition come in, they might not have exactly the same product. And they, I think innovation really speaks to, you know, when the first in ends up losing, right? You look back on, you know, Palm Pilot, for example, Palm Pilot should have been a phone, right? I mean, it, yep. it should have been. And there were ideas around, there were people I've met over the years who have said there was actually discussion there, but they decided that that's not who they were. And somebody else outside in Silicon Valley decided that they would create something that actually took a tool like the Palm Pilot and put a phone inside. And that is what consumers ultimately wanted. I think that's where a company like Palm Pilot fell asleep at the switch. They became, you know, too, they basically thought that they were enough. And that's the problem with so many companies and in, in almost every industry is like, if you're at, if your competition is actually adding on and making things better, and they're bringing the consumer what they want, and, and you're making bets, right? Because you're, you don't know for sure, but you've got people who are willing to bet, who are fearless, who are undaunted inside of those companies saying, we are that, but we're also adding on here. That is what the consumer is looking for. As long as it's willing to solve a problem that they have, whether they know they have it or not, 
that's the key thing. So I think I wouldn't say that that it's typical that you that the first one doesn't succeed because they were the first. I think it's because they fall asleep on innovation. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So here's um, question number two. What is one book or podcast or resource that you would recommend to all of us in a heartbeat without even a thought? You know, I love Guy Kawasaki. I think he's so funny and has had so many stories along the way. Um, So I love all of his books. You know, he's got a podcast as well. I love his interviews. And he's just, I think with age, I think people who have had uh, challenges, successes, failures along the way, like somebody, you know, like myself, like Guy, I think it's just, there's always great stories to be had. So, and listened to. So I would say he's probably one of my favorites. Can't agree more. You know, when I, when I had um, Guy on the show, one of the things that I realized while talking to him is that every single thing that he spoke was so based in first principles. There was not much of jargons. Everything was pretty simple. And uh, one of the fundamental things that I recall from that conversation is that when I asked him, what does it take to be a proper evangelist for a great product? And he was like, the basic thing is that you need to absolutely be in love with the product. And the second thing is that you need to make sure that you're not wasting your energies on a shitty product. So I was like, as simple as that. So true. I a a thousand percent agree. And I think like that's the problem is that, you know, even as large companies become larger, right? I mean, it's, you've got people who are working on them, sometimes leading those companies and they don't love the product, right? And they're, they're sort of chasing, trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole sometimes when the consumer has said they've moved on. Like that's a whole other piece where Guy and I have talked about this over the, you know, in a few different conversations. I think it's, it's so, so critical. So, and in today's day and age, I think, look, I think the great resignation that is happening um, definitely in the U.S., but also I think all over the world where people are trying to think about what do I really want to be doing? My hope is that they actually do something that, you know, they love doing. Because I think that more creations will be made by people who love doing something that they're really passionate about. And I, I think, again, when, when they didn't have the ability to work remotely or figure out what they really valued in, in some cases as well, I think that it wasn't an option. But I think today we're going to see a whole stream over... I think the next year, 18 months of, of new products, new companies where people have been sort of incubating in their heads, even maybe in some cases didn't know they were incubating. But now I'm hopeful that we're going to see some of these cool ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And can't agree with you more on uh, you know having that belief because I myself have experienced that if, if you truly love the product, you, it's like even if you work 20 hours a day on it, you, you close at the end of the day with high energy but on the contrary if you don't like something even one hour feels like you know you're sitting on a stove absolutely and yeah and i think the other piece of it when you really love something too i think and and you're really passionate about it you keep thinking about it right yeah. you're you're curious about it right 
I mean, and that is something that if it's just a job, right? And you're just, you're going in and, you know, doing what you're supposed to be doing, being where you're supposed to be, but you're not, like, it's it's hard to stay curious about something that you feel like you're chained to, right? Yeah. And I think that that is what, that's what passion and interest really bring are this overwhelming, it, it's like a, it's an idea generator where you start to think, gosh, wouldn't that be cool if, and, and I think like that is, that is really the thing that I'm, I'm really most excited about where I think more and more people are having this, this new idea that they hadn't had before. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. All right. So question number three, somewhere I read that Hint was removed from Target nine times. Is that true? And if so, I would like to hear more about it. Well, over the years, we've been in uh, Target for, gosh, many, many years. But but like, you know, in and out of Target. I don't know if it's nine times. That's interesting. I don't know if it was that many. But definitely, we had moments, as I always share with entrepreneurs, especially in the food and beverage industry, I had been told early on that if you get kicked out of a store, you'll never get back in. And so that was probably a, a story that I had told where you definitely do get back in. The beauty is, is that you get new buyers, right? Where buyers want to create their new selection. You're a marketer, you know, and and uh, oftentimes, I think also when you're a new category where they're trying to figure out whether or not their consumer that's coming into their stores actually wants your product. It, it The timing may be off, right? Unfortunately, oftentimes you're judged by, you know, the success of your product in terms of sales, which should be definitely part of the situation. But depending on, like, for example, if you don't have enough SKUs to actually show a presence in a store, or you're on the bottom shelf and no one can actually see it, or or you're too high up on a shelf and the average 5'4 woman can't reach it, right. for example. All of those things factor into whether or not success plays into that. And again, Combined with, if you've got a category captain that happens to be in a um, large company that doesn't believe that your category is useful, then you could actually be removed because the category captain has sort of told their story as to why they could actually use that space and what they could use it for. So I think more than anything, what you have to do is figure out how to have options until the world sees what you're selling, right? And and believes in what you're selling because you might not be able to you might not be able to convince them the first go around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So um, here's an interesting question that comes as question number four. Like, why did you name your company Hint? Like, can you give us a hint about it? Yeah. Well, my original name was Wawa. And basically, Wawa was a, um, honestly, like, that's what I said to my children. Uh, instead of, you know, drinking juice, I'd say, drink Wawa. <laughs> and, and so when I said that to my husband, I had this idea that I, for a water with fruit, and I said, we'll just tell people to drink Wawa. There's a store, chain of 
convenience stores actually in in Western Pennsylvania in the U.S. called Wawa. And my husband, having a legal background, said, "Oh, don't call it Wawa. If this product is actually successful, which it probably won't be, they will sue you for for their trademark." And so that's when I started sharing with him a few other ideas for names, and Hint ended up coming up. You know, I it was interesting. Because one thing that he said is, oh, it's a four-letter name. You're you're never going to get the trademarks and, you know, don't focus on that. Let's think of some other names. But I really felt like just out of the gate that it just seemed like such a great name for us to move forward with because so many people over the years have said, oh, hint, it's the perfect name. And I, I've said to them, like, so what comes to mind? Like, why do you think we named the product Hint? And they said, because you're giving people hints. Other people have said Hint is um, kind of a another word for slight, right? Where, and that's exactly what you get out of out of the flavor and the taste. And it's it's enough, but it is got a hint of it. And so people have have come up with their own conclusions. There's no definitive. Um, answer to that. But I think when you can have a product, it's like a great novel, right? Where, you know, you have different opinions about it with your, with, you know, your book club and about why they felt that there was what direction they were going in. I think it's the same way with a product name. If um, people can actually argue about about the name and sort of all of the components around it, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, I, I'm able to imagine two things right off the bat as you say this. One is like, I was thinking the typical marketers had, I was thinking, did you ever run a campaign wherein you asked people saying, hey, what could uh, hint actually mean? The best answer gets something. Did you ever do something like that? You know, the, the challenge with consumers is that I think consumers, Steve J- Jobs said it much more eloquently that, you know, your job is to solve problems for consumers that they don't know they necessarily have, yeah. right? You bring them something and they say, oh, I've always wanted this. You might not have ever told anyone, but this is what you wanted. And so when you start asking consumers for like flavors, for example, they'll come up with crazy flavors, maybe exotic fruits or something that is maybe something that they would like. But the reality is, is whether or not the majority of people will like it, whether or not it will actually be a viable product, you know? And so that's the danger is that running that kind of campaign i think is is something that it's very rare that somebody comes up with a idea for like a flavor for example that is is not something that we haven't thought of right right makes sense and the second point was you know i worked for a company called avuma the same story right so we we also had an initial uh, thought process like hey um this five letter word what does it mean and the way we named this was like originally the thought process, we are in this conversation intelligence space. And, uh, you know, the actual meaning of Avoma was expanded into a very organized meeting assistant. And you were like, that's our perspective. That's what we are looking at. That's that's our point of view. Uh, and we thought, instead of doing this and naming something else, we will just, uh, you know, make it an acronym and uh, get a .com name. That's how it was. But it eventually also helped us because it's not sticking to any one particular vertical domain so we were able to expand it horizontally across functions in an organization sometimes you know 
quick things like this can actually end up helping in so many different areas. Definitely. I think that's absolutely that's absolutely the case. Love that. And and here's the final rapid fire question. If you were to start the hint journey all over again, what is one thing that you would do differently than the way you've done so far? That's interesting. You know, I don't think I would I I I don't think there's anything that I would change. I think, you know, probably the I I think more than anything my own mindset to take my time and and have the right people involved in the company and you know be okay with challenges and failures along the way and continue listening to the consumer all of those things i think are are just you know things that i think about that are great lessons for any entrepreneur so i don't think there's anything that i would do differently other than to embrace things that i've learned from my own journey thus far right right Amazing. You know, it looks like you've hit all uh, five questions on the park with uh, so much ease. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, if you want to let people know that they can follow me on social at Kara Golden with an I. Uh, my last name is spelled with an I. And uh, I would love to hear from people. Hopefully they get a chance to pick up the book or listen to the book as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they will. And uh, before I give you my uh, thank yous and, uh, you know, be respectful of your time for the rest of the day, I would like to ask you for one last favor. Is there a parting message that you would like to share with our audience? Just to give you an outline, our audience are predominantly SaaS marketers and salespeople with at least about seven plus years of experience around the globe. Yeah, I would say parting words is think about what problems you see and maybe what ideas you have to solve problems for people that will actually change lives for the better. Because I think that there are so many people that focus on how do you launch a product and make lots of money? Instead, how do you focus on developing something that actually betters humanity in some way? And you do that you will have a successful business and a you will get it funded. You will be able to get traction when you do something that actually can help people. I really love that message, especially, you know, think, think in the long term, like Naval would say, long term games with long term people. I absolutely love that. And you already mentioned um, where people can find you. But I would also like to ask you, what are the best reasons that people can connect with you for? More than anything, to to learn the journey and learn the lessons along the way. I'm uh, pretty uh, upfront about all the things that I've learned and done right and uh, done wrong. So uh, that is a lot of what I share on social. That is absolutely amazing. And I've followed a lot of your uh, tweets and uh, I've always found it very inspirational. So thank you so much for that. And again, Kara, really, really appreciate your time today. You know, I think we've discussed things for almost an hour now and it, it feels like it just went by like a breeze, but I'm sure I'll have to go back and listen at least a couple of times, probably turn this conversation into a blog post because there's so much of nuggets that I can take from this conversation. So thank you once again for making your time. Thank you so much. All right. That's that from us in this episode. And uh, until we connect with you the next time with another guest, another topic, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback. 
thoughts and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 